Thank you, Brother Silas, and good morning, Renewal. Good to be with you. For those of you who are here this weekend, I recognize a lot of folks might be traveling as well, but again, glad that we can gather uh, together this morning in worship. Well, we are continuing in our series through the book of James as we consider the qualities and characteristics that should define and mark a genuine gospel community. Uh, Throughout this letter, James makes the point that genuine faith in Jesus must result in concrete, observable, identifiable signs, right? A living faith versus a dead faith, a living faith will have vital signs just like a person has vital signs, a heartbeat, a pulse, um, you know, expansion and contraction of your lungs, Breath in your lungs. These are vital signs. And likewise, a living faith will have vital signs that accompany it. And so in our passage today, James turns to explore another vital sign, which is our speech. How we use our tongue. How we use our words. And so we're going to explore this text under these headings. We'll look at the powerful tongue the untamable tongue, and third, redeeming the tongue. Okay, so the powerful tongue, the untamable tongue, and third, redeeming the tongue. So before we do that, can I invite us to bow our heads in a word of prayer, and let's go to the Lord and ask for his help. Uh, Jesus, on this Memorial Day weekend, set apart to remember those who have literally sacrificed their lives uh, that we might live free in this country, We also want to remember you who made the greatest and ultimate sacrifice to give us the ultimate eternal form of freedom, the freedom that is found in you. And so God, as we gather this morning in your freedom as children, as sons and daughters of God who've been set free, we also acknowledge that the vestiges of our sin nature the remnants of our old self still stick around, still battle against the new being that you are making us to be. It's a reality, God. We still stumble and struggle in so many ways, especially with our speech. And so we come before you with needy hearts, myself included, God. I tremble at preaching your holy word. And so I pray that you would enable me to convey your truth in such a way that brings the transformation that is needed in the way we use our words in order that we might become truly your mouthpieces in this world. A world as we've been painfully reminded again and again, a world that is so broken but a world that you have sent us into and a world that you've raised us up for in this time, for such a time as this, to be agents of healing, to be agents of your work of stitching this world back together and a significant part of that being through how we use our words. And so we invite you to speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, the power of the tongue. Look again with me at verses 3 to 5. If we put bits into the mouths of horses, horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. 
Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The point is rather simple. Something small, like a human tongue, can exert great influence. Something so small like our tongue can exert great influence. Contrary to what people often say, talk is not cheap. Of course, action matters, and that's what James stresses in this book. But that doesn't mean talk is meaningless. Talk is not cheap. Our words hold tremendous power. To begin with, you and I were created in God's image. Our God is a speaking God. His words literally brought forth life. His word enables us to interpret or make sense and meaning of life. And by trusting in his word, we are literally saved. On the other hand, it was twisted words which influenced Adam and Eve to turn away from the Lord, and as a result, our world is now twisted. As Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think of how timely words Thoughtful, timely words have lifted you up, have healed you, have filled you with strength. I experienced that kind of a text from someone in our church just the other day. So ministered to my soul. On the other hand, James writes in verse 5, How great a forest is set ablaze! By such a small fire, a few words can cause great damage. I never loved you. I'm ashamed of you. I don't want to be with you. A few choice words will break a person's spirit will split friends, destroy reputations. In this text, James spends far more time emphasizing and warning against the destructive power of the tongue rather than talking about its constructive ability. He spends way more time talking about its destructive power because the fact is we all tend to use our tongues far more destructively than constructively. All of us struggle mightily to control our tongues, which leads to the second point James is making here in this passage, the untamable tongue. Just think about your own life. Imagine if someone recorded everything you said throughout the day. 
Every single word that comes out of your mouth is recorded. What would they hear? As people living in the city of Philadelphia, I'm sure we'd all want to erase that portion of recording when we're driving our car. Everyone is slower, everyone that's slower than you is a clueless idiot. Everyone driving faster than you is nuts and out of control. And depending on who's around you, they're calling you both of those things. It just so easily comes out of our mouth. James writes in verses verses 7 and 8, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. See those crazy people playing with domesticated lions. But no human being can tame the tongue. Something so powerful and yet so hard to control. That's a scary combination, isn't it? Something with so much power and something that's so hard to control. Some of you know this, but one day we were at a friend's house, my family and I. They had a very large dog. And the dog was actually a very docile, sweet family dog, but he was very large, probably over 100 pounds. He was an old English sheepdog, big dog. And Dylan, being the dog, lo- dog lover that he is, was hanging around the dog that most of the time, and he was kind of looking the dog in the face, and he got a little too close for the dog's comfort. So the dog nipped at him. Just, you know, one of those like little, it's like a warning nip. Like, I don't like that. But it was such a big dog, and it caught him right in the face that the next thing we know, his face was literally bleeding. His, the corner of his eye was torn open. And, of course, we're panicking, and it was quite a traumatic incident. And, by the way, I asked him, can I share this? He said, yeah, that's okay. So please don't stare at him after service and be like, where is? But we ended up needing to get surgery. Thankfully, we're, we get world-class care here at CHOP, and he had to get plastic surgery. But we shudder to think what would have happened if that dog was actually out of control. I mean, if that dog just kind of in that moment totally lost it, we shudder to think what could have happened. Well, the untamed tongue is like having a 100-pound out-of-control dog that can unleash a lot of destruction in your life and through your life. Here's how James starts this section, in fact, in verses 1 and 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. What he's speaking to is that there were people in the church who felt as though they should be teaching, perceiving themselves to be mature enough to teach others, whether because of their knowledge or theological knowledge or experience. But James addresses this group by saying, 
Whoa, 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 whoa. Before you rush to grab the mic, first, recognize that those who teach use a lot of words. And God will hold them accountable for every one of those words. God will judge with greater strictness those who teach. And second, knowledge and experience in and of itself does not qualify a person to teach. Spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity, spiritual character is necessary. And knowledge and experience do not automatically equate to spiritual maturity. We've seen many examples of people with great charisma, perhaps even great theologically, but poor character do a lot of damage. You can be highly intelligent, but in biblical terms, though you are highly intelligent, you can still be a fool in biblical terms. The mark of maturity that James points to is whether a person has control over their tongue or not. Again, he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Sinless perfection will never be attained in this life, But the mark of spiritual maturity, the mark of a person genuinely growing in Christ-likeness is an increasing control over one's tongue. Because if a person's tongue, which is so hard to control, if a person's tongue is under the rule of Jesus, what that indicates is you can guess and you can bet that the rest of that person's life is authentically under the rule of Jesus. So the question is, how do we get there? Redeeming the tongue. Look at 3, 9 to 12 with me. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, as we are this morning in song, in prayer. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is addressing this duality, this double-mindedness that he keeps addressing throughout this letter. You say you love God, but you show partiality and mistreat the poor. How can that be? You say you love God, but you don't respond to his word. You don't do anything that he says. How can that be? Well, you can't say you love God and curse your brother and sister. How could that be? These are rhetorical questions. Can a spring pour forth fresh and salt water? Of course we know the answer is no. If it's a fresh spring, naturally it's going to produce fresh water. 
Can a fig tree produce olives? No. If it's a fig tree, by nature, it's going to produce figs. And if it's an olive tree, by nature, it's going to produce olives. It will produce the fruit that's consistent with its nature. Likewise, our speech reveals the true nature of your heart. In other words, if your speech, your, your speech will be consistent with whatever is ruling your heart, whatever you're most devoted to, Jesus, if you remember, brother to James, actually makes this point in Matthew 12, 34 to 37, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. An evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified. And by your words you will be condemned. Words reveal the true nature of your heart, whether it's truly ruled by Jesus, whether he truly is your treasure, or whether you're ruled by some other treasure, something else is your priority. A heart ruled by Jesus, treasuring Jesus, brings forth goodness in speech. Whereas a heart ruled by something or someone else brings forth evil, destructive speech. Jesus says you will be judged by your words. He uses the words you will either be justified by the way you spoke or you're going to be condemned for how you spoke. Why is that? It's not about the words necessarily in and of themselves. Rather, it's because, again, your words signify what you truly treasure. If you've truly trusted Jesus, your words will demonstrate that. Therefore, on this principle, in order to change the way we speak to others, the way we speak of others, it's not just a matter of learning better communication skills and techniques, though that helps. It's not enough. James says in verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. Perhaps like one of the many resolutions we make in the new year, it'll be different this time. I'm going to do my best. Only 30 minutes later, later there you are driving around the streets. <laughs> you idiot! <laughs> no human being can tame the tongue. In order for the way we use our words to change, there needs to be a spirit-empowered, spirit-wrought change of heart. And in order to change, put it this way, in order to change the fruit of your words, you have to address the root being your heart. James expands on this principle of root and fruit in verses 13 to 18. 
right? He goes back. He addresses once again those who are aspiring to be teachers in this congregation. And he asks this question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Right? You want to teach? You think you're wise? You think you're understanding? You, you got something to say to po- teach others? Well, he says, let him show his works in the meekness or humility of wisdom. The reason he says that is because things had gotten really contentious. There was division. There was infighting. There was a lot of chest thumping and words being used to tear others down in order to elevate oneself, coming especially from this group of people who claimed that they should be the one teaching others. So James makes this point. The truly wise, the truly mature, will walk in this way. The wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere. But he points out, a heart driven by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition will only lead to that which is destructive, to disorder, that which is vile, and he uses the word even demonic. And so again, where there is a speech issue, There's a heart issue. More specifically, when your heart is being ruled by something rather than Jesus, and here amongst the recipients of this letter, letter, James specifically lists, they were being ruled by jealousy, selfish ambition. That's what was driving them. Then, of course, you're going to have the kind of speech that leads to disorder and destruction. Friends, Let's honestly ask ourselves this morning, how's my speech? How have I been in speaking to my friends, in speaking to my neighbors, in speaking to my spouse, in speaking to my kids? How have I spoken? been speaking not only to those people, how have I been speaking of my friends, of my neighbors, of my spouse, of my kids when they're not in my presence? Does it, as James say in verse 18, bring about a harvest of righteousness leading to peace? And if my speech has fallen short of that, fallen short of what Jesus would have for me as probability-wise, every one of us could probably own ways in which we've failed in this, then the next question, based on the principle James and Jesus drives, if that's the case, then what has become more important to me even than Jesus? What is ruling my heart? What idol have I shaped and bowed down to? 
Because as you've heard us say repeatedly here at Renewal, idols aren't always terrible and evil things in and of themselves. Idols, I-D-O-L-S, can actually be good things. We just simply make these good things ultimate things or too important. They become too important to us. I know in my own failures in this, especially to my kids, wanting comfort, wanting peace and quiet is evil. It's not evil at all. Problem is when my desire for comfort, when my desire for quiet becomes more important to me than anything else in that moment, more important than our friends, more important than our family, and in that moment, more important than Jesus. This topic is going to be explored further next week. But for this morning, if you know you have a problem with your tongue, perhaps even this morning, leaving the house, invite the Spirit of Christ to expose your heart to expose what might be taking center stage rather than him. And then turning once again to him, to the word who became flesh, to the word who became flesh and entered our world full of hateful, destructive speech where we use our tongues to tear each other apart Jesus entered this world and chose himself to be torn apart in order to stitch us and stitch our world back together. Jesus is our redeemer, and he indeed redeems and renews every aspect of your life, including our tongue, one of the hardest parts of you to change, in order that all of your speech would be fully submitted to him. So that through our speech, we wouldn't simply enjoy the fact that we're redeemed, but through our speech, we in fact would become now agents of redemption, helping stitch this world back together again by his enablement. That more and more we would turn away from idle talk I-D-L-E, wasted words, as well as idle talk, I-D-O-L, speech that comes out of idolatrous desires that do, do no good to anyone, first and foremost, yourself. But rather, as we submit our hearts to Jesus, and we invite the Spirit to search our hearts and say, what am I making too important right now, more important than you, Jesus? And that's why this poison comes out. As we honestly do that, what the Spirit will do is begin to rein your tongue in. So that, and I looked this up, the average person speaks 15,000 words a day. That's what it says. Some of us far less hungry, <laughs> tired, right? Some of us far more. But let's just say on average 15,000 words a day. 
What Christ's desire for you is to redeem every one of those words. And that through those words, you'd bring glory to God and you'd bring good into the lives of others. You would be a sower of peace. And that word peace isn't just the absence of fighting and war and hostility. It's the biblical Hebrew word shalom. That through those 15,000 words, we've been gifted. Think about what a gift speech is. Think about those who have lost the ability to speak. We've been given this tremendous gift, 15,000 words a day on average, that every single one of them would be redeemed to bring glory to God and to be an agent for shalom, for the stitching back of our homes, of our communities, of our city, of our world. And because Christ is real and he has risen and his spirit is with us, it's possible, and he's doing it. Let's pray. We're going to end our time by coming to